All right. Today we've got Sandrine Perret-Girard with us. Uh, Sandrine, thanks so much for joining. Thank you, Joe, and thank you for your lovely accent when you pronounce my name. I love it. So, and thank you for having me. I'm honored to be, you know, one of the the person that you're interviewing on your podcast. So next time we'll do you to make sure to yes, understand. Yes, yes, ma'am. Yes, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. All right. Uh, first question, same as always. Refresh our memory. What were you doing before you went to INSEAD and what have you been up to for the last 20 years? Yeah, I was one of these many consultants um, doing three years BCG, Boston Consulting Group, uh, based out of Brussels. I'm, I'm originally from Belgium, so worked in Brussels, in Paris and in Frankfurt. And I wanted to escape consulting. So I know many are trying to get into it and using INSEAD to enter. I was doing the opposite, trying to do something else and going more into what I call the real world and making things happen and implement versus just giving advice. So, uh, And I kind of knew I wanted to go in healthcare um, because I had done multiple projects in healthcare in my consulting life, um, uh, post-merger integration of GlaxoSmithKline. I also work on a restructuring of a big academic hospital and my entire family is in healthcare. So I kind of knew when going to INSEAD, this was something I was interested in, but I was an engineer. I'm an engineer by training and work in consulting. So didn't know much about healthcare, except that I loved it. So what, kind what, of, what kind of engineer? What kind of engineer? Uh, I'm a building engineer, so uh, which I never used, ever. So <laughs> I think I'm using it to build bridges between people. That's what, that's what I say. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Um, and then, um, you know, during INSEAD, I took actually some uh, electives in healthcare. Um, I mean, because I knew I loved it. Tried to discuss with people that were in the MBA program that came from pharma or other healthcare programs. And then it, it solidified my intent. And then I interviewed on campus, mostly with big pharma, um, because I felt this was the easiest way for me to get in there. And then I was lucky enough to be selected by Novartis, uh, a big pharma, Switzerland-based um and I joined them in 2003 when we finished uh, our MBA. And I stayed with them 19 years, which is what? a lot. Yes, I know. This is crazy. I would never have thought. I lived in five countries, did many jobs with them. And um, until last year, so February 2022, I stayed with them. And then I moved to another company, mid-sized pharma called Gilead Sciences, um, and I'm nobody. Let's, let's hold on. Let's go through uh, 19 years in Novartis. Yes. What, 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 what did you do for these 19 years? <laughs> I know. So what did I do? So, um, so I started by entering a rotation program. That's actually why I decided to join them because I love the people I met during the interview. I was very naive, and they offered me a two years rotation program where you can just join, and every six months they. They make you work in different roles, different functions, different countries. So I started in global marketing in ophthalmics, but then in Basel, in Switzerland, in the headquarters. But very quickly, I realized, who am I to give advice to countries? I have never actually worked and done a proper work, uh, actually, operationally. So I told them, you know what? Let me go back to the basics. I want to carry the bag as a sales rep. And then I went to Belgium, my home country, and I was a sales rep in Waterloo, which was my territory. And I really started with some crash. My parents said I was crazy. I had done an MBA, engineering, work for BCG, and I was just carrying a bag to be a sales rep. But it, it taught me a lot about the basics on, on what it is to actually convince physicians about prescribing a, a certain drug. Uh, and, you know, it, it builds your credibility for later on. So I, I did that for a while. Is, is, is that normal for these rotations to have one of these, so you know, posted actually, people to go and, actually, and be a rep? Yeah, it's better. It's better because if you go higher up, 
and if you, and you have never done some of these roles, this is very hard for your credibility. No, they require that less, but at that time, this was something I really wanted to do. So, so either you enter a very high level, you know, directly a PNL owner, and you come from consulting, you enter as a chief of staff or internal consulting team, and then you get a PNL, but usually you get stuck. Uh, if you have done some of the basics, it helps you afterwards. So, so I did that not so long, less than a year. Then did marketing and then so stayed in Belgium for a little while. So I stopped my rotation. And um, after two years, actually, we had a business review with the head of Europe and I challenged him. I asked him to give me money to implement an idea I had and he refused. And I told him, I respect your decision, but I think you're making a mistake. And then I know my GM was like pissed off uh, that I said that. And after six months, actually, this guy called me back to say Sandrine. You had some guts telling me that, but I think I indeed made a mistake. So I want you to work for me. And I became his chief of staff um, back in the headquarters in, in Switzerland. And there you could really understand oh, a big company with 100,000 people, you know, and 50 billion sales is actually working, you know, the backstage. And, um, and, and after a year and a half doing that, I wanted to go back into reality. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Slow down, slow down, slow down. So you're, you're, you're this guy's chief of staff. Two questions. One, what, what business line or what product was this? And then, and then two, um, sorry, go ahead. Go on, go on. The first question, uh, chief of staff of the head of Europe. So basically it was most of the products. So, so we are organized. Okay. by by regions, uh, it's it's basically Novartis was made of big divisions. One was the generics, and I worked in that business later on. I, I can explain you. One was what I call the innovation medicine, which are basically innovative drugs where you develop a tat patent and then you launch that drug. And then we had a, a section more of Talmix and and, and medtech that we we sold. So um, so I was basically the chief of staff of the head of Europe for for the pharmaceutical division, which was all the innovative drugs. And, uh, thank you. Um, so this, this now what second question, second question, what does it mean to be a chief of staff at a company like yeah, a chief of staff, you know, you're a bit, you're the ghost writer. So basically we think that all these big guys, you know, know it all. No, 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 no. Actually in the back, you have little hands like me that just write the speech, make the presentations, manage projects, um, and you know, I mean, be the sparring partner also of these big guys just to, to come with the idea and challenge them. And so you build a certain relationship, um, as a sparring partner, which is super helpful. So, uh, so I would say a big chunk is, is being running the operations in the background to make sure that everything he or she does is, 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 is impactful. Um, the big meetings, the big budget discussion, the big strategic plan, and then being a sparring partner. So, um, so it's what's helpful and being a consultant, of course, helped me. But after doing, you know, one cycle of one year, you feel you have seen it all. So, I mean, I never uh, encourage people to stay longer than, than two years in these roles. So I, and actually, I had to recommend somebody to be my successor when I moved on. And I recommended Janneke van der Kamp, who was in our MBA class. Mm. Uh, so she became my successor. Uh, this was very interesting. So we supported each other. And she also left Novartis now. But uh, we had a bit parallel um parallel you know uh, career so it was interesting so we we so i introduced her to that role so after doing that a year and a half i had the opportunity to go to work in paris so back to fontainebleau uh and um become the head of sales so all the sales reps for a division of neuroscience so neurology drugs very interesting experience to to manage um 
these folks with a lot of unions and work council. And when you want to make changes, it takes a while. Uh, and so I did that during during a couple of years and then became the division head of, of neuroscience for Novartis in France. So I, I stayed there for five years um, and I enjoyed living in Paris. I mean, this hasn't changed since we were at INSEAD. It's still mm-hmm. as beautiful. The food is still delicious. The art scene, culture is just amazing and great to travel across France and, and go skiing and all that. So this, I enjoyed a lot. And and then uh, for personal reason, I was in love and uh, my, my partner w- was based in Germany. So I was like, okay, what am I going to do now? Um, maybe I should go to Germany. We had a weekend relationship. So I, I said, okay, let me do the big step. And uh, I looked at Novartis. What do they have in Germany? In Munich, to be precise. They mm-hmm. didn't have this division of innovation and innovative medicine. The only thing they had was the headquarter globally of the generics business. So the generics are cheap versions <laughs> of uh, medicines. Once medicines lost their patent, then you have access to generics, which is more uh, mass, you know, volume and scale and trying to keep uh, costs low. So I was like, okay, why not? So I, I applied for a role um, and then I got it. It was a small role. So I lost company car, salary was decreased. <laughs> no team to manage and for love I decided to take my little polo that I bought secondhand and I drove there and then um, I uh, helped to build um, the biosimilar division so biosimilars are generics of biological drugs that are a bit more complex drugs are not just chemical compound but more difficult for Western Europe so I did that during a few months and then they realized I was um, underused underutilized they say you can do better um, and then I replaced somebody in maternity leave to lead a chunk of the German business for generics for, for, for Novartis. And within a year, I became the general manager of um, the division uh, of Sandoz. Sandoz is the name of the division of generics for Novartis in Germany. Uh, Sandoz- Hold on, you're, you're making this sound like it's fairly blasé. How many people are we talking it about was, or underneath you at this was, point? Uh, probably the biggest stretch of my life in terms of career. So it was 3,800 uh-huh. people. And I had from <laughs> manufacturing to clinical development, so the development of the drug themselves, you know, with the lab, to the commercialization, uh, all in German, because I can tell you mm-hmm. the eastern side of Germany couldn't speak English because they learned, because of when you had Germany divided in two parts, they learned Russian. Uh, and never English. So either I had to speak Russian or German. So I had to learn German there. Uh, wow. um, and I stayed in Germany in that role for three years and a half. Um, and we were. In- and this, this is probably like a multi-billion euro business here that you're that you're managing. And we were we were serving two thirds of the German population. So two thirds of the German population were using at least one of our drug every single year, from wow. over counter drug if you get a cold, to infusion drug for cancer. To, to everything. And we had stuck out a lot of supply issues and and we had patients dying potentially because of the supply issues. Uh, the system is standard in Germany. So you have some some medicines that they tender and then the one that bid the cheapest price wins it. And if that company has a supply issue, then there is this drug is not on the market. That's it. So um, so this was, this was an interesting time. But um, after... Five years in total in that um, world of generics, 
uh, I want to do something else. First, I became single, so I was like, okay, no, I don't have to stay in Germany anymore. And second, <laughs> I wanted to go back to this innovative side of the business. So it taught me a lot in terms of leadership, management, German, of course, and <laughs> but I wanted something else. And I had always been dreaming about going to the US, you know, uh, as a European, you're like, US is the biggest market in the pharma industry, but it's it's also something which is very different from Europe. First, um, you have access to, to innovation in terms of new medicine much faster than the rest of the world. So just to give you an idea, in oncology, so which is cancer drugs, um, physicians can prescribe a drug just with the results of a clinical trial. So if there is an a study that shows that that drug is working and is helping people live longer with cancer, physicians can start prescribing it because it's been included in the guidelines. In Europe, you have to have multi-year approval process and then you have a process that also lasts a very long time to get reimbursed. So there can be up to three years difference between oh, wow. getting access in the US over oncology drugs for a certain disease and then in Europe. And this was like for yeah, me... That's, th- th- this is news to me. Uh, this is very interesting. Is this only for, for oncology drugs and drugs that, that have like, you know, high fate, high mort- or conditions that have high mortalities or any sort of drug in the United States? Sort is, of is- drug. Sometimes it's the same time, but sometimes it can be up to three years. And of course, when you have a disease which is life threatening, time is of the essence. So this is where it's getting even, even more difficult. So, uh, so that was one of the reasons I wanted to go to the US because of the pace of innovation. And, and the second reason is that you can engage much more with consumers and patients. I mean, you live in the US, I'm sure that when you watch TV, you see hundreds of advertising yeah. <laughs> for medicines. And I'm, mm-hmm. it doesn't make me happy. But you know, in Europe, that doesn't exist. In Europe, you cannot engage with, with patients. You cannot, you know, directly mm-hmm. interview them, etc. So the ability to engage with patients and consumer is also something very, very interesting for, for me. And the last piece is the access to data. So what do I mean by that is um, in the US, you know what a physician has prescribed. You don't know the name of the patients, but you know this week or today, they have prescribed to five patients this drug they were newly diagnosed or it was a switch from another medicine. So you kind of know a lot and you can customize your messaging, you know, in the digital age um, to every single um, customer you have in front of you. And this this richness of data is something amazing. In Europe, you cannot. You, you cannot buy data uh, for single prescribers. You don't have access to all these data. So it's more like, I would say, the mass uh, cookie cutter approach, um, and, and I thought this was fascinating. So this is the reason why I want. Look, look, to I, 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 I want to hear. I think I know where you're going with this, but I want to. I want to ask you a controversial question before we move on. What based on those differences in sort of let's call it the policy of Europe versus US, d- does one have an an obviously better outcome as a result of those different approaches? Yeah. So. So that's interesting because the life expectancy in the US has been decreasing over the last few years. Mm-hmm which is crazy, while it hasn't in the rest of the world. So you would say, okay, what's happening here? Actually, the life expectancy decrease is not linked to having access to, to, to medicines. It's linked to the, I would say, the lifestyle uh, that you have in the US. Obesity. Obesity. Obesity, for example. Although now with the new drugs, you know, maybe it will get better, but also um, health inequity. So you have actually a rich portion of the population that has access to healthcare and a big chunk that doesn't and that has very, very low um, 
than health status. We have also a high uh, rate of uh, drug addiction and opioid addiction, suicide, mental health issue more than in Europe. And that's what is, is making a difference. But if you were to look just at um, the medicine section of that, having access faster to better drug helps, of course, with the outcome, but uh, it's not the only factor. So, um, and, and I mentioned health equity is actually one of the reasons I decided to leave Novartis. So, um, so maybe I fi finish. So I go to the U.S., <laughs> leave Germany, uh, go to the U.S., and I'm lucky enough still for Novartis to, to work in oncology, uh, so the cancer uh, medicine in the U.S. So going from generic in Germany to oncology innovation in the U.S., where I worked for, for three years in the U.S. organization, and then during two years, I had the more global roles helping for um, and leading the commercialization of all these drugs worldwide out of the U.S. But, but after 19 years at Novartis, I was like, I'm not going to retire there. Come on, Sandrine. Uh, you know, you're in your late 40s. You, you have to, to start thinking about something else. I didn't want to go to a big pharma. And then the question is, do you go to the small biotech? Uh, you know, and, and, and in the Bay Area, you know, there are many, you know, many in Boston and, and you know, um, help to get to an IPO level, etc. Or do you go to the mid-size, which is big enough to have resource and multiple products and medicine, but small enough to be agile? And I, and I decided to, to go for the mid-size. And uh, Gilead Science, which is the company I work for now, reached out to me. And during a year, we discussed, and I wasn't sure. And then I decided to move without having met anyone in person, was everything virtual. And then oh, I moved wow. to the East Coast uh, in New Jersey um, to California last year, where um, I'm very happy. So I bought a place and I've been here since since, since almost two years. And uh, and I see that one of the reasons I, I, I chose Gilead is, is the health equity piece. And it might be surprising. Um, and I don't know if you know that company, but this is a company which is which is, we say mid-size, but this is 18,000 employees, 25 billion sales, so it's not so small. And I'm in charge of the U.S. business, which is an 18 billion um, business uh, for them, so 70% of their, their business. And uh, we are focusing on HIV, prevention and treatment, hepatitis, viral hepatitis, hepatitis C, COVID, so if you have to go to the hospital for COVID, you, you have 70% chance of getting one of our drugs. And then some specific oncology and, 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 and cancer where underserved patient population are, are more impacted. And, and the fact that we are focusing on these disease areas is, is, is because we want to have an impact on society at large uh, beyond just selling a drug. And, and, and I can give you a few statistics. Maybe it can help you understand. Um, for example, in HIV, um, so if you have HIV today, if you take a pill a day, you can become undetectable. So you don't have any trace of the virus in your blood and you can have sexual relationship without transmitting the disease. Um, you would assume that everybody that has HIV is, is now under treatment in the U.S. Actually, in the U.S., 70% of the people are under, the, under treatment. So 30% are not. They know they have the disease, but they don't take any drug because of stigma. Because if they say they have HIV positive, they could go to jail in certain states in the U.S. I mean, this is where we are today. Yes. Um, certain Wait, is that true or is that what people believe yes. will happen? Because this, this, is, this is just crazy. And state by state, you have different law either, you know, uh, against HIV status or LGBTQ, I mean, which is the population mm. which is more 
impacted. African-American and Latinx are also the population more impacted where the stigma associated with HIV is very strong. So you have a lot of work to do to change that. You can also prevent HIV. If you're at risk, you can take a pill a day and then also not get it. It's almost, and, and we are developing a, an, an, an injection, once a year injection, like a vaccine where you could inject once a year and then not get it. Only 25% of the people at risk of HIV take a medicine to prevent it. So it multiplies. It just shows that there is something linked to equity there. Uh, hepatitis. This is a disease that you get um, and you have a cure. You take one pill a day during three months and you're cured. Very easy. Um, today, there is an increase of number of people with, with, with hepatitis C because it's linked to people injecting drugs. 70% of the newly infected are people who use dirty needles, you know, and in the U.S., as we know, the opioid crisis. So you have a high prevalence in these areas like Ohio, West Virginia, etc. And um, and if somebody is um, infected and uses dirty needles, they will infect 20 more people within the three within three years. So it's it's exponential. And I can continue on and on. Uh, in in cancer, a black woman has four percent more probability of dying of breast cancer than a white woman in the US. Why? Because they have mm. like, no education, don't know they have to do a mammogram, etc. So that's very interesting to arrive into a company where you have medicines like the others, but actually there is a layer on top where you feel that everything you do helps society at large and you contribute to the greater good. And that's what I wanted to do, um, to not just sell medicines, but also do something on top. And we are, for example... Well, so what are, what, not, to, not to, to put you on the defensive, but, but what, what does, for example, Gilead do, to, which is above and beyond just making the medicine that maybe Novartis didn't do? Okay, so, I can, so let's take HIV, for example. Um, so, um, so we are the, the single biggest um, private uh, donor, donator, I mean, we do donations uh, worldwide, private for HIV causes in the world. So we support many, 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 um, you know, organizations, NGOs, and not just big ones. It can be the Elton John AIDS Foundation, or, but it can be, you know, very small local ones um, in the southern of the U.S. where you have the biggest epidemic. We are working with faith-based organization to try to explain, you know, uh, to some of these hyper, uh, you know, um, uh, strong faith base, uh, the Bible Belt, like we call it, um, mm -hmm. uh, that basically tell to people that uh, you're LGBTQ, this is an issue, you cannot, or you cannot say you have HIV and you cannot be treated for that, you know, helping all these faith-based organizations, you know, to change the stigma around having HIV or being part of the LGBTQ community. Transgender. I mean, so we do a lot of things which is more societal than just purely um, selling the drugs. I have a, an entire team that is called the community liaison. Their job is not to sell drugs, <laughs> medicine. Sorry, I mean, I prefer to use the word medicine than drugs. Um, but it's to be in the community. Actually, they come for the community, the HIV community, and educate people about what is HIV. Why is it important to protect yourself? What can you do, you know, um, to prevent it, etc. So education is a big gap, and uh, this is something we also do. So these are examples, but there are many, many more. It's not just yeah, giving, great. also um, doing more than that. I would say I spend roughly 50% of my time working on that, and 50% is more the, the usual, I would say, general manager job, which is, uh, you know, managing a team, setting objective priorities, revenues, uh, 
you know, messaging and marketing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the, a big chunk of my work is now more this um, health equity and inequality topic and and how we can advance that. So uh, this was very shocking to me when I arrived in the US because I thought, like you, access to innovation and this is great, but you have huge disparities and. Uh, Actually, your life expectancy is defined by your zip code in the US. Mm-hmm. Where you live, who your friends are, in which community you live, this is what is more important. And, and this was very shocking. And, and that's why um, I decided to take a, a job that could help me fight that uh, at my level, um, if I can. So that's where I am right now. That's that, that, that's an amazing story. Thanks so much for sharing. I I I feel like I've I've learned a tremendous amount just in the last in the last uh, twenty minutes. Um, one one last question, two parts. Um, is there anything that that we as the community can do to help you, either personally, professionally, or or vice versa? Do you have some things in mind that you can do to potentially you know help 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 the community out? Yeah, a couple of ideas. So what I can do to help. Um, so I'm a member of. Um, uh, founding member of Belcham. So Belcham is the Belgium American Chamber of Commerce um, and they've founded a life science chapter uh, because they realize that uh, health companies, health-based companies can be health tech, whatever, from Belgium when they want to establish themselves in the US just don't work, don't know where to start, don't know how different these markets are. So, and um, I'm happy to help, you know, anyone, you know, who is working in a company for a company, leads a company that has some views of entering the healthcare market in the US to just be a sparring partner and help on that. So uh, so that would be super happy. And of course, like many of us have said, if anyone is coming to San Francisco, um, please <laughs> let me know. I bought a house here, you know, the classic house, blue with white trims on a little hill. Uh, so uh, so I'm, I'm, there are guest rooms. Bay windows, yeah. Windows. Palm tree and lemon tree in the garden. So not what Belgium. So that's really great. Um, on the opposite, you know, uh, what I would like the potentially the community to give me. I mean, uh, so first, I think Joe, we need to organize something with the California-based uh, <laughs> California-based uh, alumni. So we can we can certainly work on that. But the second second piece is. Um, as I retire, I mean, I'm not close to retirement. I want to keep busy. And one of the things I'm, 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 I, I will probably do is, is, is be a non, non-executive board members and for biotechs. Uh, there are many here in the Bay Area, and I start to get a lot of requests. But this is something I've never done. And I know many of us have actually, or are, you know, board members uh, in different industries. So um, tips and tricks, do's and don'ts, uh, you know. Mm. Stories uh, might always be helpful. So, um, so what you're not being told, you know, when you follow a official class about that, uh, would be super, super helpful. So, um, so that's all right. What so, I- what I heard you say is, if uh, if any Belgians want to set up business in the U.S., you can help with that. Uh, if anybody needs a place to stay in San Francisco, you can help with that. And if anybody knows how to get on being an executive board member, you uh, you you could use a little bit of help with 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 that. Exactly. that uh, those are very actionable things. Yeah, and I would say even non-Belgian companies, European-based companies, willing health healthcare companies willing to come to the US, I can because the it's so different. And uh, if you have never worked in the US, I think it's just hard to know where to start. And uh, so, so I would have very happy to to help companies, you know, as they're on board um, to do that. This has been wonderful. Uh, thank you so much. I, I, I can I can tell you're very passionate about what you do, and it's it's one it's lovely to see you you know clearly doing what you should be doing in the world. Thank you, and thank you for having me. 
Thank you, Joe. Thank you. Thank you. Ciao. Ciao.